White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Right after, grand slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Fuck off. (laughs) I mean, seriously. Hello, and welcome to Locked On Sox. Locked On LaRussa. I'm pissed. (laughs) Actually, my name is Herb, not pissed. But Herb Lawrence with me is Chris Tannehill. It is a bad day in White Sox history. I am mad, and so I can only assume that you might be also feeling some type of emotion, Chris Tannehill. Yeah, I got to say, you know, I'll I'll get to my thoughts on the hire, but first let me just tell you what you can expect from this episode other than utter despair. Uh, Tonight, uh, you'll hear from the parties involved. You'll hear a little bit from Rick Hahn, who had a bad day at the office today, and you'll hear from the next manager, uh, Tony Larusa, and you'll hear uh, why he thinks he can be a good fit with this young group, and and we'll, we'll parse through all this information. And I, and I, I want to get Herb's opinion on some things uh, as a black man in this country, uh, as it relates to what Tony was talking about today. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff to get to here tonight on this edition of Locked On White Sox. We'll skip the jersey for tonight because we didn't do it when when Ricky was fired, so we won't do it when Tony's hired here. Let's just let's get right into it here. Um, the you know the biggest thing on my mind here today as we begin is uh, we owe Dan Rowan an apology, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've never I never doubted the Silk Man. I'm always in for my man Silk. Yeah, even though he's but, very uh, vague. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he had you know, plausible deniability was all out there. He, now he's like, I should have just said it. I told y'all, motherfuckers. But he didn't. Did I tell y'all yesterday? <laughs> I um, told you, but I didn't tell you. <laughs> and so you know, Silk gets a pat on the back. You know, it went far because of his reputation of never really breaking news, being a calm, cool, collected sports director at WGM for so long. So everybody's like. This ain't Herb Lawrence doing this announcement. This ain't a bombastic guy that's trying to get clout. The man's already established. So that's why it worked. And yeah, this is plausible deniability. Is a vague tweet turned into be what everybody said. Same thing with Lance Briggs. He pretty much uh, said that Tony LaRusso is going to be the manager of the White Sox. So kudos to both of them. Bob Nightingale, too. Bob got a lot of shit, gets a lot of shit currently for you know, getting used by these GMs and owners to peddle out bad information. This time he got great information and stuck to his guns and he needs his kudos today. And I gave him to him on Twitter. So could you, if he listens, Bob, congratulations, man. Wow. All right. Um, a guy I will not congratulate. He's dead to me uh, now is uh, Barstool Big Cat. I tweeted him early this morning before the news was uh, official. And I said, hey, at Barstool Big Cat, can you do a Tony LaRussa slash Jeff Fisher style video? For those who don't know, um, whenever uh, there's like a coach that gets fired and, and a team needs to hire a new one, he'll find a way to weave Jeff Fisher into, uh, you know, a coming home style video where sometimes to Matthew McConaughey, you got to 
uh, go back to go forward, even when Jeff Fisher's never coached the, the, the Bengals per se, but he'll put Jeff Fisher in the highlight video, uh, urging the Bengals to hire Jeff Fisher, for example. Uh, so I said, can you do a Tony La Russa style video of that? So this doesn't become a thing because when he does it, they're in jest and they're a spoof and they're hires that never happen. So I asked him if he could do a Jeff Fisher style video for our guy, Tony La Russa, So it doesn't become a thing. I said, be well, stay safe out there. And, uh, he didn't respond for a few hours. And then after the news became official, he says, whoops, could have stopped this hiring. My bad. Um, so we, <laughs> we, we are putting this squarely on the shoulders, the broad shoulders of Barstool Big Cat. I said, this is 100% on you, Cat. You made an otherwise happy, level-headed fan base very angry today. So you can, you can point all your ire at Barstool Big Cat. Um, all right, so let's just get out of the way. My take on the hire is this. I, I know you're upset about it, and I'll, uh, I, I have your tweet here to prove it, but my take on the hire is we just talked about all this last night. It's not the guy I would have picked. I gave you five guys who I would have picked ahead of Tony LaRussa, but we're the same guys who talk about how managers don't matter that much, and it's it's not – a pleasing hire. It wasn't aesthetically pleasing to the ear listening to that press conference today, which we'll get to in a second, but I, I can't sit here in good conscience and be the guy who says managers don't matter when we said that Rick Renteria did not have the horses to finish off that Oakland A series. And he was a little jumpy with the bullpen, yes, but we all knew he did not have the guys to advance in the playoffs. So we can't sit here and say, Managers don't matter. You need better players. And then all of a sudden, think Tony La Russa, who is a Hall of Famer, is the worst hire in the world, which I know in this day and age of social media, everyone likes to get in front of things and talk about how awesome something is when it's when it's average and how terrible something is when it's just average. So I can't sit here and, and just give you all the rage in the world. It's not my style. I try to give you a measured take here. Tony La Russa is a Hall of Famer. I'm not trying to spin this as a great day for the Sox because I'll be honest with you, I don't think it is, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad day for the Sox. I don't think Tony La Russa is a hindrance uh, in terms of the White Sox reaching the next step in the rebuild, which is winning a playoff series and eventually advancing to and winning uh, a World Series. I don't think Tony La Russa gets in the way of, of any of that. I think his experience could help. My only thing is that he hasn't been at the field level in 10 years so that's that's a question that that he you know answered today and the gen the generation gap and the culture gap was my biggest concern but i think those things are all things that can be rectified with with time once you get around your guys and tony experiences the the same team chemistry that so many people reported on coming out of spring training and the fun atmosphere uh, to an extent that the team had in 2020, even with all the COVID regulations, you know, you, you know, we didn't hear many stories about the clubhouse because you know they try to keep people out of the clubhouse, players included. So, you know, these things are things that can be worked out over time. I don't think Tony Larusa is going to get in the way of a good team uh, winning and, and taking that next step. Now, having said that, they have to finish this thing off and round out this roster. So Tony Larusa has the pieces to work with that Rick Renteria did not have. That's my only thing about this. If Jerry Reinsdorf is going to go full Mike Illich and go owner who's going for broke and, and throwing all the money at everything, uh, you know, as he's as his life comes to a close, I hate to say it that way. You know, it's kind of a, a fucked up way to put it, but you know, let's be real. Jerry Reinsdorf's in his eighties. I think he's eighty four. You know, he's not going to be 
the owner of a baseball team uh, for much longer. So if he's going to go full crazy Mike Illich and bring in the best guy who thinks he can do the job, he's got to finish off the roster. So I, I hate to say it again, but ask me again how I feel about this hire come March. I want to see what this roster looks like before I tell you. My big concern is they think Tony La Russa can take the current roster and have better results than Rick Renteria, who, who finished 10 games over 500 in a 60-game season. I, I hope they don't think they can get more, and I hope they don't try to go on the cheap and say, hey, here's the same roster with a couple minor tweaks, but we have a Hall of Fame manager now, so it should be better. That's my concern going forward, but just to, to put a bow on this thing, it, 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 the news stung because it's it's not the direction that any of us wanted. But you know, it just—he's it, still a Hall of Famer, and I, I think you can still do something here. And as long as the players are on board, um, I don't think you have a problem here. Now, time will tell on that if the players are indeed on board, and we'll get to some of the reaction from around the league and players around the league in a second. But uh, your take on this hire, Herb, quickly before we get to uh, Rick Hahn and his bad day at the office. So your tweet today, upon hearing the news. See if I have this right here. This is a quote from at uh, Ecknerall23 on Twitter. Fuck, 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 fuck. And it just goes on like this. Fuck, 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 fuck. There's a lot of fucks in here, okay? So you are not a fan of this hire. Sorry, I should have given the disclaimer if you had young children listening, but I apologize to that. Maybe I'll go back and put one in post and give you the full tweet, but that's only half of the F-bombs that Herb dropped today. So let's hear it, Herb, your take on the hire. Well, as some people misconstrue, your man, Nick Shepkowski, always says that I think that managers don't matter. Not true at all. Managers matter. They don't matter in wins and losses during the game, but they do matter. And the reason why I'm pissed off about Tony La Russa, multiple reasons. As a black man in America, his stance on Colin Kaepernick is unacceptable. Uh, telling black players today in his press conference that he has to judge their protests as sincere until he ex- accepts it. Another thing. Let me, he let me, let like- me, let me stop you one second there. When you heard him, you know, just in, tw- you know, he talked about what he said in 2016, but he doubled down on his comments about kneeling and equating it with the anthem, which we all know is wrong and incorrect and just a, a real lazy way to look at the, the issue of racial injustice in this country and totally, you know, twists and contorts Colin Kaepernick's message as why he was kneeling. But he, he doubled down, LaRusa did, in 2020. I think it was with Graham Bet, uh, Bensinger, and he talked about how he still felt the same way. Now, we are expected to believe that merely months later, he has changed his stance. And people can evolve, for sure. Uh, especially mm-hmm. this year, people have a lot of time to, to think and you see it all play out in front of you on the news and on social media. And I think a lot of people have changed their minds on the way they see that black people are, tweet- are, are treated in this country. So do you think it's possible for a man in his 70s, do you think he was being genuine when he said that his uh, opinions have kind of evolved on the matter? Or are you not buying that? That's just, Or do you think it's just uh, too far of a reach for a guy who all of a sudden is vying for a new job? All of a sudden his, his views differ on, uh, on racial injustice. Yeah, he knows how to play the audience. He understands who he's talking to. And the reason I think mostly why it took so long to hire him, um, I mean, I know he's not supposed to hire during the World Series, but they're probably training him. They're probably coaching him up, saying, hey, man, (laughs) you can't be saying what you said in 2016, 2020. And that's probably half of what Rick Hahn was thinking. We'll get to him in a little second. Like, this guy's out of touch. 
with half of our roster. So uh, I think he's got some training. He's understandable. He's a lawyer by trade. I think he graduated Florida State in 1978. And so he understands. He's a smart man and knows baseball. And through baseball, you have to deal with the media. So he's media savvy, too. So, yeah, I don't believe one word of that. I think he still believes that Colin Kaepernick was only doing this for clout. I think he still believes that kneeling is unacceptable to him, and he equates it to uh, kneeling against the flag, kneeling against our soldiers, kneeling against America type of shit. And I don't like that attitude. It's purposely misconstruing. Like, he listed all the damn black players that he's ever managed. But throughout that, did he never learn a lesson? Did he never speak to them about their lives? Did he never understand how it was to be a black man in America or just saying hit or steal or bunt? Didn't invest any time with the players that the Ray Lankfords he brings up. He didn't talk to uh, Harold Baines about growing up where he grew up in, I think, in Baltimore. Baltimore, yeah. He didn't. Yeah, he didn't talk to these players that he knew, Chet Lemon. He didn't talk to him about anything going on in his life and how it is when he leaves the ballpark. Like, this, no 70, like, there's no, I think he did that Graham Bainsinger interview in February. You're telling me in eight months he learned more about racial inequality, inequality and all that stuff than in the 76 years pri- previous than that? Bullshit. Like, he either wasn't listening, didn't want to, or, like, he's putting on a show here. There's no way that he and these eight months was like, you know what? I haven't been listening. I need to be more educated on this black thing. Let me get to a point where even his answer about today in protest and how he has to be the arbiter of whether a player is sincere in his protest or not. And then that player has to go and do something actively in his community just because he doesn't like it. Like, if Tim Anderson doesn't like that black men are getting killed indiscriminately by cops, does that mean that Tim Anderson has to also go and start a charity for for that? No. He could speak his mind on it and not be having to go to some white dude and say, hey, white man, is this all right that I fucking protest what I want while I got this big-ass stage? Or are you going to tell me that I can't protest peacefully of course, and bring some attention to what I feel. So, yeah, that's reason. Managers matter. That matters. People walk in that clubhouse, they see a person that doesn't either care or know about their situation or doesn't even want to invest time in that situation. Yeah, it sucks. He's the he's the boss. He got hired by the owner. He's got more power than Rick... Rick Ron, I mean Rick Hahn, much more. And so he's got the ear of the owner. So what's this guy going to be telling me I can't bat flip, I can't have an enjoyable time because he thinks sportsmanship has to reign supreme where I'm just out here trying to have fun and a game that's hard and I fucking succeeded, hit a ball over the fence, it's really hard to do, I'm going to celebrate. And whatever you like, I don't care. I'm not here for you. And since I am a person that says managers don't matter that much in wins and losses, you could sit your ass over there and shut the fuck up while we're playing this game, while I'm doing my job. That's what I feel about managers. That's why they don't manage to do the game. After and before the game, when they're setting lineups, when they're talking to people, when they're getting to relate to people, 
that's the psych the psychology and uh, getting to relate to people and getting the clubhouse to play as a unit. That's where managers matter. Getting free agents to come, as you saw, John Lester said he wanted to go to the Cubs because they paid him money, but also having Joe Madden there didn't hurt. That's what I'm talking about. I think this guy's going to hurt. We saw Marcus Stroman liking all these bad comments about Tony Larusa. I'm sure Trevor Bauer's not hyped about baseball police being the manager in Chicago, in Chicago. So yeah, that's where managers matter. Recruiting and keeping the locker room loose, making the pressure off the players and putting it on yourself. All these things off the field is where the managers make their money during the game. Game is over. I mean, the game is not over, but most of the decisions are done. The play is going to determine what's the final score. And, yeah, there are some times where a manager's move can sway uh, maybe up and down, but the players still have to execute. The other day, it's universally panned that Kevin Cash took out Blake Snell. But what if the Tampa Bay Rays relievers go in and do their job and get the people out? Then everybody's saying Kevin Cash is a, a genius. That's what I'm saying. Like, managers don't matter that much. It's the players who decide. So that's how I feel about the situation. The guy is out of touch. It's antithetical what Rick Hahn said. He got usurped. His power is over. He seemed like he got – I mean, I'll get into that later, but it's not a good look. It stopped all the momentum. I don't know if I've seen – multiple people maybe one guy on the air today that said he liked the move and i haven't seen anybody else say yes this is a excellent move by the white Sox. not one person that's not getting paid by the white Sox or in the white Sox pockets or carrying water for them i'm glad to have your perspective on that that was incredibly well said and you know i i'm uh, i have the luxury of looking at this only through a baseball lens but when you when you put it that way i think people can relate to what you're saying and it's similar to to that you know, you think about Ken Williams, who I remember uh, earlier this year uh, after the George Floyd incident in Minneapolis, he had that very passionate, heartfelt, um, emotional interview with Sox TV talking about his experiences as a black man climbing the corporate ladder in baseball and his his issues with, with racism in his life and, of course, him being the godson of Juan Carlos from the 1968 Olympics, you remember uh, with the 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 black leather gloves, the 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 black power salute during the Olympics, and it was a uh, an incredible cultural moment um, for for civil rights. And he's directly connected with that. And you think about Jerry Reinsdorf, you know, letting everyone else do their job and build this team into a contender, while you know not giving all the financial resources along the way to be better. And having to be talked into why it's beneficial to sign young players to long-term contracts, you know, he'd rather play the service time game. But having to be persuaded into that, having to be talked into why Luis Robert is going to be a move that pays off for them. To, to go over the heads of Ken Williams and Rick Hahn and say, you know what, no, this is actually it's still my team and I'm just going to ultimately do what I want and... Kenny, I know how you feel uh, about these things, and that had to have stung when, when Kenny found out about those comments. You know, as a black man, I'm not projecting. I don't want to put words into his mouth, but just as as anyone with an ounce of compassion in their hearts, like you, that has to just sort of trigger uh, trigger an alarm for you. Just like you know what, uh, I, I don't really want to be associated with this guy. And then you have it play out today in the press conference where. 
all of a sudden you have to you have your manager go out there and explain why he's not racist. At the same time, you know, I, I do believe if you check uh, White Sox, uh, A's, and the uh, and the Cardinals. Um, Just name the black people. I can you name you. Yeah, uh, you know, at least all of them. You know, at least the uh, White Sox, whether it's Chet Lemon or Junior Moore or Harold Baines, and you go to the A's with Dave Stewart, Dave Henderson, Ricky Henderson, Dave Parker. You go to the St. Louis with Ray Lanford, Brian Jordan, Reggie Sanders. I mean, uh, I'll take my chance if you talk to any one of those people. I have not, there's not a racist bone in my body. Uh, I do not like injustice, uh, and I would support exactly what I mentioned. Anything that's peacefully, peacefully uh, done and sincerely uh, thought of, and especially with an action at the end of it, uh, will not be a problem. Look, man. as uh, to quote Dave Stewart, <laughs> "You get your fucking ass out of here." Wait, you're quoting Les Grobstein I'm quoting qu- Dave Stewart. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> All right, look, man. Like people throw around the word racist like a lot, especially in in today's culture. It's like sort of a quick way to end an argument with a lot of people. Just call someone a racist, and they have no uh, recourse uh, in that regard, and it, it eliminates any type of of, of common sense back and forth and and get gets rid of all middle ground when you throw you know someone the the title of racist i don't think tony la Russa is a racist um you know i think his his political views and his not even political just his views of race in america are a bit skewed again it is possible that he's changed his mind it's been a jarring year for a lot of people and it's it shined a lot of light on the problems that we have in this country i don't think tony la Russa is a racist it's hard to to be in this game for 40 years uh, and, and be a racist and be successful, especially with, with those teams. And I think about Ricky Henderson as being the face of that A's franchise team, Ricky Henderson being the swaggiest dude who ever lived. And, you know, just to, to I do not think he's a racist, but the optics of having to have your manager explain why he's not just sent the chills down my spine today uh, thinking of what a bad move this is just because the optics of that. That shouldn't be a thing that happens when you introduce your manager to to the world. You know, you shouldn't have to have your manager out there saying, I'm not a racist. And as the great Patrice O'Neill once said, I never met a racist, meaning you know, people who are racist never come out into your face with their racist views. It's always just something you, you hear behind your back. You know what I mean? So, like, I, if he was racist, I don't think you would admit it to who would. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just a gross, gross, gross thing to have to to be a part of this conversation. And you know, I, I think ultimately it, it can be a good thing. The the back and forth talking about it, and you know, maybe. Whether it's true or not, people see, oh, you know, even Tony LaRusso's views can evolve on an issue. Maybe mine can too, whether it's sincere or not. I don't know. But just that was was bad today. The, the, the presser was uninspiring. It was dull. It had those racial overtones to it, which you can't like if you're an organization that's, that's a progressive organization that's that your whole marketing campaign is revolving around people of color you Tim Anderson your Elo Jimenez's and and Juan Moncada's like it's it's just horrible optics and above all just uninspired man it reminded me a lot of the Robin Ventura hire where it was shocking no one believed it was true that it talked Robin Ventura into taking the job and he, he reluctantly took it, and the results were about what you expected uh, for Robin Ventura's managerial career. And I don't think he was a bad in-game tactician, but you know, it just it was uninspired. It was especially when Terry Francona 
was on the market at the time when they hired Robin Ventura uh, for the White Sox back in 2012. And you saw what happened there with, with Tito in Cleveland, his, whose run is still not done there. And here we are, the White Sox on their third manager since then. But it's just bad, bad optics, uninspiring. And, I, I, you know, again, you can't win games uh, in November here. And you can't get guys to go rah-rah and jump up on top of the table and, and say, yeah, let's go. Let's go play. It's it's not even November yet. It's the end of October. Games aren't won now. But above all, it just it's it's it was very frustrating. And it just uninspired is the word I keep going back to. Was that sort of your takeaway on this whole press conference today? It was an hour long, just basically. And I... You know, I don't know if we learned anything new about Tony Larusa other than, yeah, he's open to to modern metrics and he's always looking for uh, ways to to be smarter about the game and we're always looking for an edge to win. I, I, that was my only other takeaway, other than that he's quote not a racist. But what, what was your thoughts just on the tone today? I, not not taking into account Rick Hahn, which I think we're going to talk to in another episode in a part two of this. But your overall. The tone of the press conference today, how did you feel as that sort of played out in front of you? I felt the usually on an introductory press conference, the journalists are asking about philosophies just so they can understand where you come from as far as uh, what strategies you're going to use during your game and all that good stuff. The journalists in this one were more, man, I heard this about you. Can you clear this up? This was always so said about you, and it's not positive. Can you clear this up? It was mostly that. It wasn't like a lot of people usually, you know, smiles are bound, and everybody's happy for the guy that finally got the job. And this was from the tone that's set by Rick. Bland and uninspiring that you used. Tony was, he didn't dispel any of the, Man, he's out of touch, lost, older gentleman that's not with the newer times kind of uh, vibe that I was getting before this. So, yeah, that whole thing was not great. It should not be you're introducing a Hall of Fame manager to a team that is ascending like the White Sox, and it feels like these guys are sad. Like, it felt sad today. And it shouldn't feel sad when you're hiring a so-called great manager. So they know. Everybody felt it. The journalists felt it. Usually they're, you know, they got some rooting interest, but they don't show it as journalists. They're, they're supposed to be objective and they're neutral. The mood was that way. It was very sour. I listened to the whole 50 plus minutes of the press conference and then, for my job at the score, I have to cut that up. So I listened back to it. I cut up all the answers. And yeah, that was, let's see. I started at listening at 2.30 and Rick hit like 2.45. And I didn't stop after listening to it again and cutting up these stuff until 5.40. And so that whole time, the three hours, I was just like, this is not great. Like, we should be celebrating. We come off a great year, a successful year, and this is what's pausing it. Look around baseball. Everybody's lampooning the White Sox. Everybody's with the question marks. Everybody's saying, why? It doesn't make sense. And I'm not an A.J. Hinch guy, as you know. I don't like the cheater. I would not have liked the hire at all. I would have been bitching about it like I am doing now. But I would have said, Rick Hahn said something. 
he wanted a certain type of manager, and he was talking about A.J. Hinch, and he got his guy, the hottest managerial prospect out there, wanted to come to the White Sox, and he's now a White Sox. I would have taken solace in that. I would have said, I don't like it, but it makes 100% sense. This makes zero sense, and everybody knew it. Everybody felt it, and that shouldn't be the feeling that you get after a great year and a great hire, supposedly. And it came out tonight that A.J. Hinch is going to be going to the Tigers. That was the first uh, rumor that we heard about him uh, even before the season was completed that A.J. Hinch was on the Tigers' radar. Now that they're going through a rebuild, so you may not see the after effects of him being hired there right away, but this is a situation where A.J. Hinch could be in your division for a long time and the you know I don't know how long Tony Larusa is going to be the manager of this team in his late seventies, but I would guess that AJ Hinch is going to be in Detroit for longer. And you know the the report saying that Jerry Reinsdorf had his reservations about the whole AJ Hinch thing and the cheating thing, which look I get you know just sleeping on it last night after we did our top five candidates and thinking about AJ Hinch a lot. You know, you know, the recency bias that, that a lot of us fall into just because he won a recent World Series, there's a lot of weight behind that. But really, the, the track record, it's not all that great. And you win one World Series, and it's marred by the cheating scandal. I'm curious to see how it plays out in Detroit. And maybe maybe they dodged a bullet there, but that doesn't mean necessarily that Tony La Russa was the right move. But I totally would have been cool with them hiring Hinch. I think the baseball world would have been also. Um, we're running out of time here, and we'll get to Rick Hahn in part two of this. This episode of Lockdown White Sox is brought to you by rockauto.com. You know, friends, winter's coming, so you know what that means. you got to make sure you take care of your automobile. Do everything you can to keep you on the road safely this fall, this winter, and there's so many different makes and models of cars these days. It can be really hard to find all the parts your car will need in your traditional auto parts storefront. So why endure the pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your car an LX or is it an EX? While you wait for the counter person to order the parts that they have only on their computer and only the parts that their warehouse happens to carry. Why do that when you've got a computer? Matter of fact, you got one right in your pocket. It's your cell phone and that phone you have access to rockauto.com. You know, I talk about maintenance on your car, why it's so important. There's a lot of reasons why, but the most important reason would be the bottom line. You want that money to be saved so you can use it for more important things in life, like mortgage or food or holiday presents. Why would you willingly spend 30, 50, or even 100% more on those same auto parts at a chain store when you can get them for a much much more reasonable price at rockauto.com? For example, a fuel pump for a let's say 2010 Honda Odyssey, costs about $354 at your traditional uh, auto parts store. But meanwhile, rockauto.com, the same part can be found, $216.79 for that fuel pump. So why wouldn't you explore the great options at rockauto.com? They're friends of ours, they're a family business, and they've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Just go to rockauto.com now to shop for auto and body parts for hundreds of manufacturers. And the best of all, there's not many things that you can rely on in this world, but you can always rely on rockauto.com's prices to be reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers like you or me. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and do us a favor, write Locked On in their How'd You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliable low prices and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com and now 
back to the show. The other thing that I was worried about going into this and the th- question I wanted to hear answered was about culture fit and you, the White Sox with the change the game and TA and the bat flipping and having fun and, and Eloy with the deep V out there, you know, um, in the outfield with his jersey. So you wanted to know how that sort of stuff would play with Tony Larusa as your manager. You're worrying about the, the cultural gap, the generational gap. How does his hard-ass style uh, and approach, how does that – uh, mesh with what the White Sox are trying to do. And here's what uh, Tony had to say. And what I see now is that with players that are being more exuberant, I take, uh, you know, Anderson, Tim Anderson, for an example. Uh, now it's it's people showing that, hey, I'm coming through. Uh, in fact, Major League Baseball is, in, is, in, in, uh, is encouraging them to do so. And if I see that it's sincere and it's directed towards the game, uh, that's displaying displaying the kind of emotion that you want. You know, as a as a coach, what you want to do is you want to get players passionately involved with the competition. And if you do that, that's how you, you get exciting games. You're entertaining. So the fact that now that we're encouraging players to be more expressive, you know, I, I I'm I'm going to treat like Tim, for example, part of the family. And uh, and you know, the only thing I say, and and uh, even some of the people that I talk to. If, if, if your team celebrates and that their team celebrates, then neither team can be upset when, when, when you see celebrations as long as everybody's doing it sincerely. That sincerity, a big, big uh, key word there for Tony La Russa all day today when you're talking about uh, playing the game with emotion as long as you're doing it sincerely. Uh, if you're going to protest racial injustice as long as you're doing it uh, sincerely, you know, it leads me to believe that he believes – that guys are not being themselves out there and they're doing it for merely just attention and not doing it because they're having fun and they, they, they take great joy away from playing baseball. And let me tell you something, man. Like Guys in baseball, sometimes they, they have to talk themselves into believing that they're the best because this game is such a hard mental game to play. Anything you can do to give yourself a mental edge, and I think that's where Tim Anderson, that's where he broke through. Like we talked about his his uh, mental and emotional struggles after after uh, the murder of his best friend and how he was you know not the same guy and then all of a sudden he just breaks out of his shell and the White Sox are a better franchise because of it so I don't see how you can look at guys you know doing it it's, you know, is it is it sincere or not sincere but sometimes you have to talk yourself into it you have to be your number one cheerleader because no one else is going to do that for you in a major league baseball clubhouse so I don't know how much substance there is to the whole sincerity argument I think a lot of guys are playing roles out there or just trying to hype themselves up and that that's fine by me but you know I just uh, I think with the White Sox fortunately they've built up a strong enough culture to this now that I don't think it can be uh, tarnished by whatever hard-ass approach Tony La Russa may have I think he'll experience what the clubhouse is like in spring training I think they'll be back to being vibrant again, and they'll come in with a with an automatic chip on their shoulder, with a bit of an edge after losing in the postseason. And your best hope for a, as a White Sox fan is, you know, maybe Tony La Russa can push them over the top. And some guys need a kick in the ass once in a while. And Tony La Russa was never he never I shouldn't say he was a hard ass when I said that earlier, but he never really had a reputation of being like a disciplined guy, like a Buck Showalter. But he's definitely very much a high intensity guy and come to the ballpark ready to play type of guy. And I look at this roster the way it's constructed right now, and I think there's guys 
who could use that still. I look at Moncada, look at Eloy. You know, uh, Keiko was calling out his teammates early on in this season. So I, I do think there's the certain guys that can benefit from Tony LaRusso's presence. So I, I don't think it's it's a total failure. But I, you hope as a White Sox fan that he comes into the clubhouse, sees the youthful energy, sees the the confidence. But hopefully they're humbled a little bit from their postseason experience. But ultimately, he'll take a look at the clubhouse and be like, you know what, I, I see why this team is so good. I see why they believe in each other. I see why they carry themselves with, with such confidence. I'm just going to stay out of their way until I see them taking their eyes off the prize, so to speak. So I think that's what you hope for as a White Sox fan, that that Tony just stays out of the way and doesn't uh, interrupt the identity of this team, which I don't think he will. You know, If anything, it could help the Sox and they could have – you know, uh, you know, they, they're all of a sudden they're winning in spite of their manager. Like baseball players always need a reason to to rally uh, against something or for something. So maybe you have a situation like that. You hope it doesn't get to that, but I think this team is already in in a good enough place with the culture and the chemistry is already there. You add some pieces. I don't think uh, Tony Larusa can do a lot to disrupt that. To be honest with you. Um. Yeah. I hope that he just comes in, like you said, and um understands that it's not his clubhouse. He has to earn the right to be in his his clubhouse, not just the title, but these guys have been there for a while. And Abreu's been there for a while. Larry Garcia's been there for a while. You can't just be coming in there, turning over tables and doing the old (laughs) school trick to these guys. So, yeah, if he just uh, sits back and enjoys the ride and not try to overmanage, not try to be the 80s A's, the 90s and 2000s Cardinals. These are the 2020 and 21 Chicago White Sox. He needs to adjust to what they're doing. As we always say, and I hate to do the cross-sports comparisons, we always say that um, you have to adjust to what you're given. So Matt Nagy fails at that. Mitch Trubisky is a running quarterback that passes on the run much better than he does in the pocket. So, Matt Nagy, you need to adjust to what your team is giving you, not them adjusting to what you're bringing to the table. That's exactly what Tony Russo has to do. He's coming in, and there's 26 men there that have already established a culture, that have already established how they play baseball, how they get prepared for baseball games, and how they do things. And it was successful last year. You need to come in, and like you said, if you see something going the wrong way, a little nod, a little nudge. Hey, um, I see you doing this, and maybe, you know, if it works for you, it works for you. But here, here's something I've learned in my 40 years of baseball that I find works for me. If you want to try it, cool. Don't understandable. That kind of guy. And then, you know, make out the lineup cards, do the good bullpen stuff that you were so uh, known for back in the day. I don't know if we're going to go back to the one batter minimums next year, but if they do, we know Tony's going to be like Tito Francona, which he created that type of ratty lefty situation, taking out a guy after one batter type of stuff. And if he excels at that baby, let's go. No, no troubles with Tony LaRusa at all. And um, I said, this is going to be a net net negative or net like, neutral move right here because what they're going to do in the field is what they're going to do in the field. I think the problem is they need somebody else, multiple people, a pitcher, a right fielder, maybe a designated hitter to get over the top of teams that you just saw on the world series. They're not close to Tampa Bay. 
and they're in a different fucking league than the L.A. Dodgers, and most teams are. So how are they going to beat the Dodgers? Because they're not going away. How are they going to beat the Rays? How are they going to beat the Twins? How are they going to beat the Indians? How are they going to beat the Yankees? And without extra reinforcements, because there's really nothing coming up from the minors, from free agency and trades, I don't see this White Sox team getting over the top where we need to be in the World Series, participating in that fall classic like we did in 2005. Well, that's uh, that wraps it up for us tonight. Uh, we're going to continue part two, which will drop uh, Friday evening. Uh, we'll talk about Rick Hahn's bad day at the office. But, yeah, there's a, mm. a lot of layers here to this Tony La Russa thing, and it, it might not sit well with, with many of you right now. I, I think – as we get closer and as the roster starts to round out, maybe this will be less of a thing. Again, they have to finish this thing off. And you would hope that Jerry Reinsdorf, and they, they, they try to debunk the narratives today about righting wrongs. And, you know, this wasn't about, you know, Larusa being fired in the 80s by, by Hawk and, and, and Reinsdorf letting him go. And it talks about being that one of his great regrets in his career is firing Tony Larusa. You, you, you try to hear a lot of that today, Rakan saying that it wasn't about narratives and stuff like that. But you would think that if you're going to bring in your good friend Tony Larusa, that one, you're going to give him all the tools to succeed so you make sure you finish the job and you bring that World Series that he was never able to bring during his first stint as White Sox manager in the early 80s. You, you give him all the resources he needs, but also if you're Tony LaRusso, you'd have to think, look, man, this is this is going to be my last gig. So I, I'm going to need you, Jerry Reinsdorf, to buy in quite literally and give me the horses that I need because he, he's going to take one look at this roster and be like, you know what, this team couldn't get out of a three-game playoff series. So we're, they're going to need some more horses here. So you would think that that working relationship would be as such where all of a sudden you, you look at it and say, okay, we, we're at a mutual understanding here. We know the team's not where it needs to be. And Jerry, I want to bring you that World Series team, but you got to help me out here. And Jerry will be like, you know what? You're right. I, I'm not here to waste your time. Like I want to make sure you end your career on the right note, and I want to end my career on the right note as White Sox owner. So I would hope that there's an understanding there. And uh, maybe uh, a certain they, they step up the professionalism here a little bit. And you, you're already hearing a lot about the finances. We talked about it a lot on this podcast, what 2021 is going to look like. Uh, it looks like they're going to have a lot of contracts that are going to be backloaded. So lot, lots of guys will come in uh, for, for smaller salaries uh, in 2021 in exchange for little more weighted contracts on the back end, which could be appealing if you're a team right on the cusp like the White Sox. You figure if there's not a lot of money on the market, go where I'll be needed, go where I have a chance to win. So you, maybe this will work out in the White Sox' favor in the short term. So uh, that, that's all we got tonight. We'll have part two dropping Friday, Rick Hahn's bad day at the office. And uh, that's all I got tonight, Herbie. Uh, it's not a great day for the White Sox, let's be honest, but I'm trying to find the positives here and trying to look at it from all angles. But uh, we appreciate you guys listening as always. That's why you are you. You're trying to find positives in a fucked up situation. That's Chris Tannehill. He's very positive, very pragmatic and thoughtful. I'm Herb Lawrence. I'm very erratic. I'm very off the cuff and kind of a dickhead. You can follow well, I'm me. A, I'm Twitter. a pragmatist like uh, like Johnny Sack. Everybody's got a goddamn opinion. So you know me. Try to try to be reasoned with it. But I but your points are all valid tonight, and I appreciate you sharing those. And and hopefully uh, you, you know other people will see it sort of uh, through your lens as well. 
Okay, I appreciate it too. And that's Chris Tannehill at Chris Tannehill on Twitter. Me, Herb Lawrence at ActorWall23. The show is locked on socks on Twitter and on Instagram. We see today we got like a lot of emails. Locked on socks <laughs> at gmail.com. Locked on socks at gmail.com. So I don't know when we're going to do a mailbag. This too much information, too many things we have to talk about before we get to your mail. Um, we appreciate it. And we see them all. I've read them all. Thank you for sending them in. Pete Hand, Mike Victor, all the guys, John Kest, my people, uh, our people. But we'll get to a mailbag Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, love. One of these days, we'll get to it and we'll have all your emails read. Uh, and then someone will make them to the show. So for Chris Tannehill, my name is Herb Lawrence. Thank you for listening to part one of this Tony La Russa got hired and what the fuck episode of Locked on Socks.